Welcome back to Two Gals and a Glass Half Full. Uh, first, we have a really exciting announcement um, that Jess and I are very excited about. Um, we have hit 100 subscribers on YouTube. If you have not subscribed yet, go hit that button. And it has nothing to do with like a number, but it just means we're we're able to help that many people. And we hope it just kind of keeps growing and we can help uh, more and more people as we go. Um, so for our interview today, I'm very excited. Uh, but before we get started, Dr. Jess, what is in your glass? So I'm working on my water. So it's in my favorite mug, well, bottle here. So um, 80% is good enough uh, because sometimes we don't hit 100% every day and we have to like celebrate when we do get 80%. <laughs> and so it reminds me like, Perfection doesn't always happen. And so I'm more than 80% full done with this one. So and I'll probably drink one more before before the end of the day. So Dr. Poppy, what's in your glass? I am on water too. I had a little bit of a sparkling water earlier with a little bit of flavor in it. Um, and this is just plain water. Awesome. And so with us today, we have somebody that has a ton of knowledge about breast cancer, which is why we're interviewing her in the month of October. Um, so Dr. Buckley, first, what's in your glass? In my glass is unsweet tea that is watered down tremendously. I am, I, I struggle to drink just plain water. So if I put a little bit of unsweet tea in there, it makes me happy. There you go. I love it. It's a little flavor. Yep. I love it. So Dr. Buckley, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I am a classically trained pediatrician um, and discovered functional medicine about 20 years ago and um, started pursuing that um, mostly because my daughter developed autism. And, and that was what drove me to, um, to learn first about functional medicine. And then um, a few years later, I developed breast cancer and applied all of that uh, knowledge in functional medicine to my own breast cancer journey. Um, but it was, it was, it's been a lot of fun. Functional medicine is a very, very different approach to the traditional medicine that I was trained in. And I had to um, unlearn a lot of things and learn a whole lot of new things. Um, and it has been one of the most joyful journeys I've ever been on. And I love the way I get to practice medicine now. Um, I find that it is just a lot more fun. Um, and it's very, very rewarding because you change people's lives on a permanent basis. If you, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. We are, you know, we've interviewed a couple of uh, functional medicine docs and it's just the knowledge base that they've been able to share has been very helpful for us personally. And that's why we love sharing it with other people as well, because it's not something that is maybe commonly understood or even available uh, depending on where you live. And so knowing that there's other ways of thinking out there, I think is, it's just helpful to know. That's all. So. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like there's a lot of, um, the more I dig into functional medicine and maybe a more holistic approach, um, the more I learn and just realize how much I do not know or did not know and continue to not know, you know, about medicine and, you know, in general, how a more holistic functional medicine can really benefit us um, versus just traditional. Absolutely. Uh, so Dr. Buckley, do you mind sharing a little bit about your cancer experience? Sure. Um, I was, um, it was June of 2000 and 
2009. I think it was 2009. And I was actually getting dressed for um, uh, a fancy gala and um, for my foundation. And um, I was putting on a different bra than what I usually wear. And I just happened to find as I was putting this bra on, because it fits differently and everything was different. Um, and I just felt this lump. Um, and uh, I, I stopped and felt the lump and felt the lump again and felt the lump again. And I thought, hmm, this isn't going to be good. It was just kind of a rubbery round mass. And I, I, it hadn't been there, you know, that I had noticed in the weeks previous. And I just went, well, this is going to be cancer. Okay. I'm going to have to go figure out what I want to do about that. And um, I went to <clears throat> that gala that night and uh, wondered whether I would be there to speak at the next one a, a year later and that kind of stuff. I mean, just the the, the traditional things that you think when you go, uh-oh, I have cancer. Um, and the next day, I uh, texted a friend of mine who also happens to be a radiologist. And, and, I, and I said to her, um, don't you do those mammogram things like for a living or something? Because I think I need one and it's going to be positive and I'm going to have cancer. And she was like, uh, yeah, that's what I do. Um, and I said, good, because you're going to have to pick my treating team because I'm not doing it. I'm not fighting with people about whether or not my functional medicine approach is useful when we're treating cancer. So, um, she got me in in the next couple of days and, you know, the mammogram was ugly and the ultrasound was ugly and everything was just ugly. And then the next thing I knew, I was off and running to the whole, the, the treatment approach and what we were going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, did you start with surgery? Did you start with chemo? Did you start with radiation? Like how did your journey start? So um, it was interesting. My my entire journey was driven by the fact that there was a new plastic surgeon in town on Kit Desai who um, who was classically he was trained in how to do what we call a deep flap, which was I didn't even know existed, and that was to be able to transplant your fat, your belly fat, up to become breasts. And I was like, hey, that's for me because I didn't want to have implants with saline or silicone or anything else like that. I'm just I'm an all natural kind of girl. And I was so excited that this was an option that um, I was like, oh, that's for me. That's what I want to do. <laughs> and he was on his honeymoon. So I, I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to wait until he gets back from his honeymoon. Well, we put we went ahead and put a port in. And that was because I wanted to get started with IV vitamin C, which is one of the functional medicine approaches. And I went to, I they introduced me to an oncologist and he said, well, you've got the port. Why don't we go ahead and use it? And so we started with my chemo first mm -hmm. and um, the, the plastic surgeon got back from his honeymoon. And it was funny because everybody was talking about so you've got this doctor who's coming. He's like, yeah, I haven't met her yet, but um, I hear she's coming. <laughs> so um, I, I did my chemo first. I did four rounds of chemo. And then when I was finished with the chemo, 
um, we did the surgery and I, I chose to have a bilateral mastectomy and immediate reconstruction with that deep flap, which turned out to be a very, very long day of surgery. Um, uh, but it was, I, I never had a day where I didn't have breasts. So that was kind of a, that was a bonus. I never looked down and didn't, didn't have breast tissue of some, you know, I, uh, at least what looked like breasts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jess and I, in previous, we've talked about with both, uh, you know, survivors and other, we've talked about, you know, the, um, our mind and losing a breast and how that affects our confidence and just how we feel about ourselves. Most people can associate it with like losing a limb. So losing an arm, you know, things like that, but losing a breast, like we just, sometimes I think it gets looked over of, it is an important part of a woman and really, who they are. Yeah. Well, you, every time you look in the mirror, you, you, you can tell that you have breasts. I mean, it's, it's whether you're looking at them or not, they are there and they are a part of your visual. I mean, you look at the three of us right now on our, on our podcast and everybody's got breasts and we know that and it's part of what defines us as, as female. And, um, it's it's a big deal to go home from a hospital without without those you know and to and to um to have delayed reconstruction you know and my honestly my surgeon didn't want to have immediate reconstruction and he said we're not doing that and i said to him yes we are and he just looked at me because nobody ever argues with the surgeon, right? Except me. <laughs> um, and I said, listen, if I don't work, I I don't feed my family. So we're not doing surgery twice and having me out twice. We're doing it once and I'm going to be right back at work. And I was, you know, I, again, used all my alternative functional medicine approaches and I was I was in a hyperbaric chamber within a couple of days of the surgery. And um, that healed me up so quickly that I was back at work like two weeks later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I think that it's really, it's interesting. Cause like, did, did he tell you why he didn't want you to have reconstruction right away? He didn't like doing it that way. Right. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't well, care. I There's, I, I've, I've heard this many times and it's not even just like that surgery, like another common surgery where this is common that, that they want to do two surgeries is like a diastasis recti after like a really big pregnancy and then hernias develop. So they'll want to do the hernia repair and then in a separate surgery, close in that diastasis, you know, and it's like, so you're going to recover twice and go under anesthesia twice and have right all of that cost twice. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. It's really interesting with the, like the co-surgeons, like if you have to have two different kinds of surgeons in the room at the same time and the amount of uh, problems that that can create in our mm -hmm. medical system, it's the it's not the patient first, by the way. <laughs> like undergoing two times of going under surgery, two recoveries is insane. Like it, it's, that's crazy to me. And it, and it doesn't need to be like that. I do understand there's a practical world that we live in and trying to combine all of that can be difficult and that's okay if it's what's best for the patient. Yeah. So. 
it was funny because he he just didn't want to do it that way. And so my response to that was, well, yes, we are going to do it that way. And he still wasn't happy and he still didn't want to share the OR with my plastic surgeon, you know, they could have been working at the same time. And instead they, they, he had to work sequentially, um, Mm -hmm. which prolonged my anesthesia tremendously. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, what I, what I, what I, hang on, what I, what, what I did was it was clear that, that he was going to have a problem playing well with others and um, so my response to that was to write up on a piece of paper that was about this big, a little prayer. And I folded it up really small and I taped it with um, a, just a clear, one of those little um, tegaderms. Mm-hmm. I taped it to my breast. And because I knew I was gonna, I was gonna be asleep in a millisecond, and I wasn't gonna get to say anything to them. And so I, and I, on the on the top of it, it said, "Pray first. And so they lifted it off, and I was like, "Please read this first." Mm-hmm. And it was a little prayer that said, "Please, everybody work well together. Let it go well together." And and I offered a prayer, and I asked the team to pray. And I, you know, I'm gonna presume that they did because. They, you know, you, you learn pretty quickly that patients can be aware even if they're asleep in an OR. And if you don't do what they ask you to do, they might they might come back and tell you you didn't do it. So, um, you know, that was it was interesting because my plastic surgeon saw it. He he was he said, OK, let's get this going. And he was marking everything so that he had all the markers that he needed for reconstruction. Um and uh, it was it was it was pretty amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So from a functional medicine perspective, so you're you've been kind of like alluding at like the different things that are just a little bit different than what we think of as you know chemo radiation surgery as like that's you know typical Western approach, right? Right. Um, so vitamin C hyperbaric, like what are some of these like common things that can be helpful for women that are going through breast cancer related treatment? Well, I think that the, the one thing that's worth saying before we even go down, down the path of what things do you do mm-hmm. is to, to just look at what is functional medicine, because I think that's the, the, it's really important to understand. And sometimes people aren't sure what it is that makes it functional medicine. And so I always, I I take my cues from Sid Baker, who is one of the oldest practitioners of functional medicine out there. I love him. He's one of my finest mentors. He's a great guy. Um, But Sid says the, in terms of functional medicine, the human body has an innate, abundant and joyful tendency to heal. And if it fails to do that is it is because of one of two things, either the body has too much of something it needs to get rid of, or it has not enough of something it needs to get. And in functional medicine, our job is to identify what those things are and to try to fix those two things. And then you just stand out of the way and let the body heal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
I I elected to do I was willing to do chemo. I was absolutely unwilling to do radiation. And that was just because that was my choice. Mm-hmm. Um there are people who are quite comfortable doing radiation and in all in all honesty, radiation has gotten so much more targeted in the 14 years since I I was gonna be potentially a candidate for radiation. Um, and so I elected to do my chemo first and to then to do the surgery afterwards. And so what I did was I applied some of the things that we knew. Um, IV vitamin C trials have actually been done at great length and they're published and they, they actually work very nicely. Um, so that was sort of a no brainer, um, and then using the antioxidants um, into in my IVs as well. And so I did a lot of glutathione. I did a lot of N-acetylcysteine, which is another great antioxidant. Um, I made sure I was well-nourished with B vitamins and I took as many omegas as I possibly could as an anti-inflammatory. Um, and then I, uh, so th- those were in my IVs and I did those at least twice a week. Um, and when <laughs> got in trouble at the key at the chemo office too, um, I went into the chemo office and they accessed my port and I said, so, um, can you just leave me accessed because I'm going to go home and I'm going to wait 12 hours and then I'm going to do an IV, you know, IV vitamin C and IV fluids. And they looked at me and, and, you know, of course you, when in the chemo room, it's this big, huge, almost puppy mill of patients everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they were calling me Dr. Buckley. So everybody knew I was a physician. And then I asked to be left access so I could do IV vitamin C and everybody's antennas went up, you know, it was just (laughs) like, oh my God, did she just say it? Um, And I got permission, you know, that I said, just go ask Dr. Dr. Thomas, just go ask him. And he's like, yeah, just go ahead and leave it. And I said, because if you don't, I'm just going to reaccess it at home anyway. So you're confident that you're sterile. Let me, let me just leave it in place. So I I got in trouble there too. It's my habit. I get in (laughs) trouble for stuff. Um, So I did IV vitamin C. I changed my diet. Right. And so I initially tried to go all vegan and um, I talked to Stephanie Cave, who was a very good friend of mine who does a lot of work in cancer. She's out in Louisiana. And, um, she said to me, what blood type are you? And I said, I'm O negative. And she said, Julie, you're not going to be able to do it without some animal protein. And it was amazing. I started back with a little bit of animal protein and really kept all the vegetables, all the healthy fats, all that kind of stuff, and really dumped all the sugar and dumped all of the, the, the carbohydrates out of my diet and changed my diet. And, um, as soon as I went from that vegan approach to having a little bit of animal protein because of my blood type, I felt like a million bucks and it was, it was great. Um, so I did that. I started taking some supplements and then, um, I really worked on, uh, cause I, I had young kids and I hadn't paid a lot of attention and hadn't had time to be able to doing a lot of exercise. So I tried to do some exercise and very quickly didn't feel great with the chemo. So that didn't go very well. It, it, while I was while I was being treated, but I then pursued it afterwards. Um, and I used hyperbaric chamber. And um, 
there is really great evidence um, and the mainstream world does not like it, but there is tremendous evidence that cancer does not like oxygen. Cancer really is an anaerobic process um, and it hates oxygen. And so you can actually really help yourself along, in my opinion, with using hyperbarics because you increase the oxygen that's being delivered to your body and that oxygen kills cancer, um, cancer cells. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it was also the only place that I didn't feel nauseated. So with the chemo, I would feel, I, I felt tremendous nausea and it was almost continuous. I would feel like that for at least the first week after I had a treatment. And the only place that I wasn't nauseated was in the chamber. So I would just crawl in that chamber and stay in there as long as I possibly could. Um, And I'd have to get out to go to the bathroom and I would just get right back in again and sleep. I've never slept as many hours as I did when I had cancer, which is another really good thing for us. Mm -hmm. So I just gave into it and just went to sleep and went to sleep and went to sleep. And I, you know, I was making up for years of not having slept (laughs) while I was in training. And then when I had young kids, so, um, Um, Those are some of the initial things that I did. You know, when I was terribly nauseated, I wasn't successful in taking all of my supplements. And when I was terribly nauseated, I wasn't successful in eating as as clean as I should have been. But um, I did the best I could. There's a great book that um, it's called The Cancer Fighting um, Kitchen. It's by Rebecca Katz. I still use that cookbook for entertaining because the dishes are so beautiful. Um, but she is a pro at using um, food as nutritional support. And she has this great section um, for, they call them dips and dollops, I think is was, was it is. And she had different kinds of little sauces to make to keep in the fridge so that when your chemo changed your taste buds and things didn't taste right, you could adjust it with some of these dollops that she had and things would taste better um, according to what you needed. So um, she was, it it was a great book. It was just a fantastic book. And she actually came to an IFM conference and, um, and presented and talked and it was fantastic. So she's really, she's a dynamic chef and she's, She's really smart. Yeah, I love that. I found I just found the link. So we'll be linking that book in the uh, description of the episode. So in case anybody's interested. Great. I do hear a lot of times people, a lot of patients going through cancer, whether it's breast cancer or something else, just say food doesn't taste good anymore. So that would be pretty cool to like be able to change it to make it more. Because uh, you, you need that nutrition. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. help you heal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When my stepdad went through a pretty aggressive form of cancer, one of the things that I was really trying to do is make sure that he always had food that was accessible and healthy. And I had to work on what his palate could tolerate. So I would try like three different things and he would say, like, thank you so much, but like, maybe not that again. And I'm like, oh, did you get sick on? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So, but this one went well. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So we're going to go with that and then we're going to add something to it. And then that way I, I at least knew that he had 
some stuff where you could still get good stuff in, but it was easy to digest. Nothing where it was like real hard to, you know, like a big piece of steak or something like that, you know, but still get some protein in and still get, you know, eating the rainbow. So trying to get like some, you know, variety of nutrients coming in. And uh, it was just working with the taste buds though was more difficult than anything else. Yeah. Of, like Just trying to like tolerate something and staying hydrated at the same time. So just, you know, just, you got to work with it. That's all. And yeah. so if one thing doesn't work, that's okay. Just let's try something else. Let's see what is okay. And then keep pairing off of that. So. Well, and as a caregiver, the thing that is also frustrating, I think when you're, you're trying to work with somebody who has cancer and is getting chemo is what worked on the last treatment may not work on this treatment. And so, you know, things change. And that's why that the, those dollops were just magnificent because you could try different flavors and different things and, and, you know, put it on the food and it might change it to where it was palatable. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes a huge difference if you can just keep something in you and yeah. it's okay that the movement isn't there for a little while right? Like trying to do too much actually brings you down faster, uh, especially during chemo. It's just your body's working so hard. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things I'm like curious about, so you were mentioning the hyperbaric. So is this something like, would a functional medicine provider have to prescribe that for you to go somewhere to do hyperbaric? Or like, how would that work if this is somebody that's not in the Jacksonville Ponte Vedra area? So yeah, um, generally, hmm, let me slow down. So generally speaking, when you go to a hyperbaric therapy center, there is somebody who can prescribe it for you. Right. So that's, you don't necessarily have to have a separate provider who will prescribe for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you do, depending on how the clinic is set up. Um, And a lot of times what um, people will do is they will start out with a few treatments in a center and then oftentimes renting a chamber is even more cost effective so you can rent one to have at home um you know i'm very very blessed to have because i i have a clinic with functional medicine and i do have chambers i actually also have one at home so we have a backup available and i keep that at my house so i just was at my house and in that chamber nonstop. But there's, you know, when you're talking about mild pressure hyperbarics, there's really no limit on the amount of time you can spend in there. Um, There's argument that we actually once lived at that kind of pressure, you know, the 1.3 atmospheres. So um, uh, there's no limit to how much time you can spend in there. And that's why, you know, renting it makes it a lot easier because then you can just crawl in at any time you want to. Yeah, I can imagine. You don't have to leave the house, which is nice sometimes, you know, when you're not yeah, feeling you just, good. Yep, just get in there in your jammies. Right. And then, so you were mentioning the vitamin C and like some of the infusions. So I've seen like, you know, these places that that pop up in strip malls that are like, hey, like we do vitamin C infusions and like other infusions. Is that something that you would consider to be like legitimate? Can we trust that? Or is this something that you would say like, no, probably look to more of like a, like a medical office with a, with a physician there. Yeah. So I, I, especially when it comes to treating cancer, I think that it's, it's really important to have individualized care and to, um, 
be able to adjust things. So when we work with somebody who has cancer, we start with a much lower dose of vitamin C and work up to the dose that that person needs or that that can tolerate. Um, sometimes in your the pop-ups, they they actually get things that are shipped in and that are pre-mixed. And so they don't have any variability on that. And you really run the risk of things becoming oxidized and therefore not useful to your body um, if you're if you're in one of those kinds of clinics. I mean, they 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 have their place. There are lots of people who are using them, and mm-hmm. and using them and, and feel better as a result of it. But I don't think that that's necessarily what I would I would have somebody who has cancer do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would be a lot more comfortable if people were choosing to go with somebody who's practicing functional medicine and knows how to do these things um, carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of my, that, that there's, my <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a difference between, you know, a healthy body receiving something and then, you know, someone fighting cancer, for example. Just the needs are a little different there. Mm-hmm. A little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, just a little. And you just never know, like, the, the level of education, the level of training, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but, like, anybody can sell you anything. They can say anything. And so I just get a little nervous when somebody that's not like professionally trained is saying that they can manage illness. Right. And so that's where I'm like, I feel like that's a leap that I just can't make. Uh, So I'd rather when we're talking about a condition specifically versus like generalized, like health um, that really working with a provider is a good thing to do. And somebody that has experience with your diagnosis is a good thing to do. Not somebody that's just looking for business. So, yeah. Um, So from like a prevention standpoint, so like knowing your functional med and the background with functional med, um, is there anything that you think is just like generalized, like advice for like what we can do to overall decrease our risk of cancer? I mean, I know we can't obliterate risk of cancer, but like at least decrease it from what you've seen and what you've learned. Yeah. So, you know, um, I think the most important thing that we can do is be willing to look at what we eat. Mm -hmm. Um, Because way back when God was a child, um, food was our only medicine. Um, And I think that we forget that. And so um, I I think that the the most important thing that anybody can understand is that um, cancer loves sugar and cancer loves anything that turns a food that turns quickly into sugar. So highly glycemic foods. Um, And it was, it was tough for me when I kicked sugar. Um, I am not an addictive personality. I don't, that's not who I am, but I'll tell you what, giving up sugar, I I will say I jonesed for three weeks. Um, (laughs) It is an incredibly addictive substance. Um, And, but, but, you know, once you get rid of it, you just kind of go, wow, people are eating and drinking things that are so, so, so sweet. And you almost can't taste anything else before for the sweetness. Um, And so I I think that that's a really, really important thing to acknowledge. Um, And the other thing that I personally feel really strongly about is that gluten launches an incredible inflammatory response. 
in anybody's body. And inflammation is, is the opposite of what you want when you're talking about cancer. You want to be as anti-inflammatory as possible. And gluten's inflammatory response that is lit is not a little bit of gluten might give you a little bit of inflammation. A little bit of gluten lights the entire inflammatory cascade. It's going like crazy. And it may last for as long as six to 12 months, six to six to 10 months is, is, and so it's, it's a big deal. It's a lot of inflammation to, to have in your body. So um, I think that probably the most important thing that you can do is be willing to look at what is an anti-inflammatory diet and how should I do that? And the short answer, I think, is become becomes, look, it's it's a lot like a whole 30 diet. You know, it's a lot like that. And so to the extent that you can do that, um, that's what I encourage people to do, no matter what their their medical problem is. Um, and that is, you know, eat the rainbow, get rid of as much grain as possible, but especially your gluten. Don't eat processed foods that are full of chemicals that aren't really food. Um, you know, I, I teach, I teach Boy Scouts. If you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't eat it. Read the label. If you can't say it out loud, dude, don't, don't take that home. Don't eat that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and the, 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 the thing that's important to remember, and I've heard people say this, and it just makes me sad. I can't do that. We can't do that in our family. We can't do that. I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. And Sid Baker has said, um, you know, my guru, um, most people would rather die than change their diet. And, you know, when you're talking about cancer, that's a reality. I mean, that's, that is literally the truth. Um, So, um, you know, I, I hate when it happens to people, but it's, there's nothing quite like, oh my God, I might die to kind of have you say, well, maybe I should look at what I'm eating. Um, And um, that was, that was probably the motivating factor for me. Um, I had worked on my children's diets tremendously because of my daughter's autism, but I hadn't walked that walk. I, I talked the talk, but I wasn't walking the walk. And man, when I got cancer, we, the whole <laughs> household, it was like, that's it. Don't bring any of that stuff in my house. Mm-hmm. It's gone. So I think that's probably the most important thing there is in terms of prevention. You know, uh, the other, the other stuff is, you know, the exercise, the body, the human body is designed to move. And when it doesn't move, you, you get into trouble. And um, it's, it, it is, it is a really, really critical thing. So um, today I was talking to a almost 16 year old girl. Um, and I had to explain to her what was functional medicine. Why had her parents decided that she needed to come and see me? Because she was like, why are we here? What are we doing? Um, and I explained that to her. And I said to her, look, you're 16. You got to pick something. I don't care what it is that you pick, but I want you to pick something that you like doing, that you are willing to do every day for the rest of your life. Um, and you, you need to move your body. And I want you to make sure you're moving your body at least five days a week, at least for 30 minutes at a time. And, um, 
And she just looked at me and I said, it's really important. It's going to be good for your endorphins. It's going to be good for maintaining your blood glucose and all these other things. I mean, it's just really, really, really good for you. Um, I, I have had the, the terrible problem for the last year of, I ruptured a meniscus in my knee and then I took too long to take care of it. And it, you know, and I have been literally in physical therapy. Then I ruptured uh, part of my rotator cuff. And for a year, I have not been able to get out on my kayak, which is my favorite thing in the world to do. And I am a much crankier, much more difficult person without getting out on my kayak, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm just now getting to that place of, I'm about ready to be able to get out there again. And I'm so excited and I will be a much better person for it. Um, and my body will be very happy and will live longer and be and be less likely to get cancer back and those kinds of things. So I think that the diet and the exercise are the number one and number two things that you can do to prevent cancer. Uh, it, it's there's that's it. Yeah. You know about Jess not getting her tennis and being crabby. <laughs> I my mood like I I'm a movement person big time and so but um Dr. Poppy's referring to is so we we're in graduate school together and I like I just I love playing tennis and it's just like that it, it gets me out of bed in the morning and so I love the movement part of it I love the coordination I love the problem solving the strategy I love all of it and so like I had two tennis partners in uh, graduate school and neither could hit. And it was just, it was just one of those like frustrating weeks. Who knows what we were frustrated about, but something, probably a bunch of tests or something. And so Bobby shows up and she was like, okay, let's go play tennis. And she doesn't play tennis. Bobby's a gymnast. Okay. <laughs> And so like, but it was just, it was so great because she showed up for me. She showed up and she's like, listen, just I'll feed balls and then you can just hit them wherever you want. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, but the thing is, is that her showing up and supporting me in that way was exactly what I needed. I needed that, that physical release. Like, you know, like when you're in a stressful environment, like graduate school, like any work environment where you having to perform at this high level, sometimes you just need that release. And then it's like, all right, now I can handle life. And so, you know, like now, like I'll be stressed about something or frustrated and I might not be able to put my finger on it. I'm like, I need to make time for a run. And every single time I come back in, I'm like, okay, I can put my finger on it. So now it's just, boom, I come so much more clear headed. So it helps me with my health, obviously. And just so much of like the mental benefit, the the endorphin release, keeping everything regulated. It's so good. I'm not going to sit there and spin my wheels forever. I can just tell I'm like, I, I need, I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> well, I think that's an important point, you know, in terms of also with cancer is, having allowing a support system to form around you most of us are you know i i've got this i can do this i can do this i don't need anybody's help and i will promise you that um one of the big challenges for me was to let go and to let other people help me Mm -hmm. um and to let other people love me and to let other people um, be supportive because I am so accustomed as a provider to giving rather than uh, receiving. 
Um, and so I did, I, you know, I had to allow that and it was really very, very rewarding. Um, and the other thing that you can, I think is very helpful in terms of prevention. And then also in, in part of your treatment is to laugh and mm -hmm. to make sure that you are laughing. Um, that, you know, I just, I, I, I watched, um, the proposal was a movie that had come out and I watched that. I don't know, a hundred times. Cause it just made me giggle all the time. I watched it and watched it and watched it. And so I made sure I was laughing. Um, and, you know, somebody tell me a joke and so, you know, make me laugh. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's another really important part of, of the whole process and prevention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would say that they say laughter is one of the best medicines. So yeah. it is. I read this article. It wasn't that long ago. And it was saying that, so there's this lady, you no, know, it was a podcast I listened to, but anyway, there's this lady that was talking about her research and research on laughter and why like why don't we see people laughing that much right so she did all of this research on it and found that up until the age of 20 you laugh a good amount and then again when you're over 60 that's so sad I'm like what and so it's like somehow we enter the workforce and like life has to be serious it's not funny anymore. And I, I just, I was like, I can, I see that actually. Mm -hmm. Like when you, when I was hearing her talk about her research and everything and all of the health benefits of laughter, like, you know, what happens at the level of the brain and the release of the endorphins and everything that happens that's so beneficial physiologically. She was like, why don't we laugh? And it's, I mean, it, there's a, a lot of stress in real life. There is financially, it's hard. You're trying to balance so much, so many different things between work and families and interpersonal relationships and all this stuff. And at the same time, it's like, can we do have fun at the same time? Like, you know, here in the clinic, I'm always like, we make our own rules. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does, it does. Like, we just, it's not that serious. It really isn't. Like, let's just show up and let's do our best to have a good day. And hopefully we laugh a little bit. That'd be great. I would love that. So not every day is like, we're not like giggling and laughing at, like at every moment. At the same time though, like there's things that are funny, <laughs> like say it out loud, as long as it's not disrespectful. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, have fun. Yeah, I love it. Um, so perfect. So Dr. Buckley, if we have somebody who's listened all the way through to this episode and they're like at the end, and you're like, what's like the one like takeaway? If we only remember one thing after listening to this, like what would that one takeaway be of like, bring it home and really remember this? Hmm. Wow, that's a really good question. And it's hard, right? Because there's so much. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Because heavy. I, I, it's, it's so funny because as soon as I was like, I started thinking about that, um, I realized that one of the things that I didn't say was my faith was critical to me and prayer and meditation and those, and I did a lot of guided imagery with, with, um, 
you know, of affirmations of health and affirmations of my immune system is doing this and this and this, and surgically my body is recovering from X, Y, Z, P, D, and Q. Um, and so that was another huge piece of what I did. Um, I think if I had to sum it up, I would say that in terms of prevention and or terms of treatment, when we're talking about cancer and breast cancer, it is to find a willingness to take care of yourself. And especially for women, I think that's very difficult. We get into a role of being a wife and a mother um, and being very other oriented and we we tend to defer taking care of ourselves. We tend to let that fall by the wayside. You know, if, if there's 12 things that have to happen today, the other 11 are going to get down done, but I may not take care of myself. And I think that, that that's probably one of the most important things that if there's one takeaway, it is find your ability and be willing to take care of yourself and take care of your body and take care of your mind and take care of your spirit so that you can stay on a path for wellness and you don't end up. It's, it's not fun to find it after you've got cancer. It's a lot easier to find it beforehand and to get good at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, listening to you talk, I think one of the things that I have taken away most is also just keeping an open mind. Um, you know, keeping an open mind that well, chemo and maybe radiation or whatever the Western matter is good, keep an open mind to other options. And um, Western can be good, but maybe if you combine them, it will be better. Mm -hmm. And when you think about like that holistic approach of adding in the mindset part of it and, you know, tapping into your own immune system and a lot of like from my perspective, functional medicine helps to empower the patient. So you're not a passive receiver, you're an active participant. And I think that's what resonates with me a ton with functional medicine, because as a physical therapist, I need you to be an, a, an active participant. I can't do it for you. We have to work together. And so it's always kind of bothered me with how medicine works many times is that people are taught to be passive receivers and dependent and not empowered. And it, that it just never really made sense. I mean, like my husband was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and nobody talked to him about, you know, dietary changes or changes to his exercise or all of this other stuff. So obviously I go into this deep dive about gluten and, you know, like whole food living and all of that. And I was like, I mean, just throwing stuff out of the house. Like, we're not even going to give this away. Nobody should be eating this, you know? Right. Like, honestly, I was like, I'm not, I can't even donate it. <laughs> like, and it just like, um, and it's just so interesting because then when he does his, you know, follow-ups and stuff like that, they're like, how has it been this long? And you haven't had a single flare. He's like, have you met my wife? Um, <laughs> not allowed to. <laughs> so, like, But like, for real, like, you know, just really like saying, like, keep this open mind. And like, what, like, that's what I was telling him, like, you, you need to come first right now. Like, what can you do to take care of your body? And I have to do the same thing for me. I have to take care of my body. And then, you know, our children, same thing. It's like, 
like when you put you first and you put your oxygen mask on, you're stronger for everybody around you. And it's so hard to think about that, that, you know, metaphor, putting your oxygen mask on first before helping the person next to you. And uh, it just, that has resonated big time with me and functional medicine, I think is like, so on par with that, you know? So no, I love that every part of that. Yeah. Cool. All right, Dr. Buckley. Well, we really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and your experience. Oh, and hopefully, you know, people listening to this will share it with somebody else. And if you know somebody that might find this to be helpful. And so just keep spreading the word that um, there's a lot of information out there. It just might not be like right up in your face. You might have to deep dive it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I did write a book after I finished with breast cancer. Oh, we'll link it. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, well, if you shoot it to us an email, we'll link it. Okay. That way everybody can see what it is. Yeah. All right, everybody. So stay tuned next week. We've got another breast cancer survivor that we're going to be talking to and her experience, which is going to be just everybody's experience is different. And then what she's learned and grown from there. All right.